At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is VSIN, the sports betting network. Scott Seidenberg back here. It's the look ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network. Coming up about 15 minutes or so from now, we'll get back into the NBA playoffs. Welcome in our NBA insider, our senior NBA analyst. He is Jonathan Von Tobel. We'll join me about 15 minutes or so from now. And then our very own Matt Humans coming up at the bottom of the hour as we get back into the NFL draft. But I want to talk a little Major League Baseball here, according to our very own Dave Tooley at View from Vegas. Favorites went. Five and two here on Monday. On the season, they are hitting at 60.7%, 147-95. and 95. Home teams went four and three on Monday. They lead 128-116 over the road teams. And uh, unders went four, two, and one on Monday as uh, 60% unders are hitting exactly this season, 138-92 and 14. The upsets were by the Giants who were plus 169 in their 4-2 victory over the Brewers, and the Rangers, who were plus 120 in a 6-2 win over the Astros. The Angels actually opened up as a small underdog against um, the Guardians before closing as a small favorite and going on to win. There was a lot of steam on the Angels in that game, and they didn't score until late. How did we do in our picks? Well, the play of the day hit. It was the Phillies team total over four and a half. The Phillies scored eight runs and beat the Rockies eight to two. So the Phillies won and the over hit. Uh, We were also on the Phillies minus over one and a half in that game, which hit. And we were on the Giants team total over two and a half. Two and a half is such a low number. And I had people who got the picks on vcin.com who were saying that I was lucky to get the Giants team total to win because the Giants scored Two in the eighth and two in the ninth to score their four runs. Let me tell you about luck. Does it happen? Sure. If you had Mets money line, that's a lucky win. Okay? Two outs, ground ball to Nolan Arenado, who's what? Nine-time gold glover? Throws the ball away. Then the Mets wind up scoring five runs in the top of the ninth inning with two outs. That's lucky. What happened in the Giants game against the Brewers was not a lucky win. It was 
a properly handicapped win. And let me explain. The reason why I like the Giants over two and a half runs, first of all, it's an extremely low number for an offense that is producing this season. That has a guy in Jock Peterson who could lead the league in homers this year. Who is probably hitting better than, as from a power perspective, than anybody in the league right now. But the bigger part of the handicap was about the pitching for the Brewers. Yes, Corbin Burns got the start. And I expected Corbin Burns to do Corbin Burns things. There's a reason why the total was so low at only two and a half runs. Was I hoping that they could scratch across a run or two against Burns? Absolutely. But that wasn't part of my handicap, really. My handicap was that Corbin Burns was not going to last long in this game. He actually lasted longer than I thought. He pitched into the sixth inning and wound up leaving after six and two-thirds. But I felt that Corbin Burns, with him being such a high strikeout guy, and he had 11 strikeouts in this game, I thought his pitch count would be high enough to the point where he would not even see the sixth inning. Or, you know, yeah, I thought maybe he'd come out by the sixth. Turns out he threw 106 pitches and was pulled with two outs in the sixth inning. So it was right on with my handicap. It actually went two outs further than I thought it was going to be. I figured he'd be around 90-something pitches, they'd pull him, and then we'd get to the bullpen. And all I was asking was for three runs, really, hopefully only two, because I thought maybe he'd scratch across a run against Burns. But I wanted three runs against the bullpen. Now, I know what you're saying. Scott, why would you even think that? The Brewers' bullpen is ridiculous. Ah, this is where the handicapping comes in. Bullpen usage, you have to know, you have to do your research and understand that certain players are not available in certain games. Going into this game for the Milwaukee Brewers, anyone could have done this research, but this was part of my handicap. I knew that Williams... And more importantly, Josh Hader were not going to pitch in this game after both of them had pitched in consecutive games over the weekend. So now, I am going with a pitcher who's a high strikeout guy who I expect his pitch count to be high enough to the point where he only goes five innings and then I get to go up against the second and third tier of the Brewers' bullpen, not the best arms out of the bullpen who were not available to pitch. If Josh Hader was available to pitch in this game, the Brewers win this game because Josh Hader comes in and pitches lights out and the Giants don't get two runs across to tie the game in the eighth inning or two runs in the ninth inning on a home run. No, it doesn't happen. But against... A guy named Trevor Gott, who, by the way, used to pitch for the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, they could scratch across some runs. And then Jake Cousins, who's got this sweeping slider. 
That pitch is insane. I mean, pitching ninja must have a field day watching this guy's ball. You can scratch across runs, and that's what the Giants did. It worked out. Wasn't a lucky win. It actually played out exactly how I thought it was going to play out, where the Giants would get Burns out of the game and get to the Brewers' bullpen. Now, did I know that the Brewers weren't going to score against the Giants pitchers? No. I didn't pick a side in this game. It's not like I picked the Giants to win. This game could have been an 11-4 to game, for all I cared. I just felt that the Giants were going to be in a position to score three runs. And the number, which you normally see at four and a half, was not three and a half. It was two and a half. That, in my opinion, disrespectful to an offense that scored 12 runs on Sunday, five on Saturday, seven on Friday, five the other uh, Thursday or Wednesday. Two and a half. Disrespectful. I mean, I figured with at least four at-bats for Jock Peterson, you know he's going to hit one home run. That dude is just hot. And that, by the way, was one of the best moments that I have seen all season. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I posted it on my Twitter page, at Scott's On Air. It was insane, okay? Insane. There is a heckler behind the on-deck circle just yelling. At Jock Peterson. Like he's giving him, he's just giving it to Jock Peterson to the point where this dude has to step out of the batter's box, turn around, and acknowledge the heckler. Peterson then steps back in the box and then goes on to hit a two run bomb that gives the Giants the lead. And after he hits it, before he runs the first, he turns around and acknowledges the heckler. And then, after he crosses home plate, coming into the dugout, acknowledges the heckler again. That moment was incredible. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Doc Peterson is having a special, special season. Absolutely special season. Uh, elsewhere... Uh, across Major League Baseball, the Mets, man, what what a what a ridiculous win! I mean, that is Nolan Arenado 
makes that play 9.8 times out of 10. Not just 9 times out of 10, like 9.8, 9.9 times out of 10, Nolan Arenado makes that throw. I mean, a guy who has been one of the best third basemen in baseball history defensively, <laughs> like that's how good he is, uh, makes that throwing error. Um, I feel bad for anybody that had the under six and a half. That was a low total to begin with, but Max Scherzer was absolutely dealing. And the Mets score five runs with two outs thanks to that error. The game ends five to two. And the game goes over the six and a half. Ouch. Just ouch. Uh, the Rangers, man, they battled. What a good win for them. This offense, I'm telling you, these guys can hit. You never count them out. These guys can hit. 6-2 over the Astros. The Angels, Tyler Ward, two homers as they beat the Guardians 3-0. And then the, the Dodgers blanked the Diamondbacks 4-0. This one was painful for me uh, because I had Diamondbacks plus a run and a half in a fun little parlay that it was the only leg that didn't hit. And I thought Merrill Kelly would be great, and he actually was. Gave up two runs in the first inning, and then after that settled down and was actually fantastic. The um, problem was Walker Bueller was just better. Walker Bueller was absolutely incredible in this game. And Bueller pitches Bueller, Bueller, the first complete game in baseball this season. Think about how crazy that is. We'll get back into the NBA playoffs coming up next. Our very own Jonathan Von Tobel will join me. I'm Scott Seidenberg. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN. Scott Satterberg back here with you. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network, as we get back into the NBA postseason here. Congratulations the Boston Celtics advancing to the next round after they finish off a sweep of the Brooklyn Nets, 116-112. I'll be honest, I wanted to bet the Brooklyn Nets in this one. I, I really did. Um, something just... It, it just felt wrong to me because of, you know, I thought that they might lay down and die, and nothing about them in this series showed me that they were worth backing. But on principle, I wanted to back them. I actually wound up betting the Celtics because I did feel like this series was completely over and, frankly, a little bit embarrassing. Let's welcome in our senior NBA analyst, the host of Hardwood Handicappers. He is Jonathan Von Tobel. And JVT, when it came to the Celtics and the Nets, I just came to the conclusion that the Celtics are just a better team than the Brooklyn Nets. There's no, there, there's just no other way around it. They are the better team, correct? Oh yeah, I mean that's the why they were favored to win the series. Uh, it's why the market really swung in their direction by the time that last game tipped off. You know, I was on the Brooklyn Nets laying one, thought there was some line value there, and showed a little bit of pluck and some sass in the fourth quarter. But ultimately, uh, they didn't really get there. But you're right, and you know they're they're going to open up as about a two dollar favorite to beat the Milwaukee Bucks in their next series in the Eastern Conference semifinals, and they deserve to be uh, that level of favorite. And Chris Middleton's injuries baked into a price like that, but 
This is a really good team. Uh, I think I've officially moved them up as the best team in the Eastern Conference at this mm. point right now. Their depth is their depth is solid. Uh, they, they can send multiple bodies at you, six, seven strong, defend, switch everything. I like everything I've seen from the men. The more I watch them, the, the more I really enjoy and feel like they're going to be among one of the better teams uh, in the NBA this season in terms of competing for the finals. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Uh, would you take a flyer on any of their players to be the finals MVP right now? Jason Tatum's the second favorite behind Steph Curry. But how about a guy like Marcus Smart? What if he pulls an Andre Iguodala and just is a defensive stalwart or something in the NBA Finals? Any interest in placing a long-term future like that? Well, um, first, uh, like with stuff like Finals MVP this far out, I I would not bet. But I will say this: mm -hmm. uh, given our sordid past with uh, awards that are voted on yeah. by the NBA. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't really trust a voter as far as I could throw him. It's probably going to be any just pick the best player on the team, and it's going to be that team. Like we saw in the um, national championship game, how these uh, writers will vote for uh, most outstanding player, MVP, things like that. I just it's usually going to be nine times out of ten the best player on the yeah. best team. So it'd be Tatum <laughs> for me or nothing. Uh, the Toronto Raptors have done something that I believe only thirteen teams in NBA history have done, which is yes. force a game six after being down three games to none. Does the Joel Embiid thumb injury concern you? Have you seen anything that from him that indicates it is affecting his play? And would you take a flyer on Toronto to force a game seven? You know, I, I haven't really seen anything, like, right? Like, like if you watch it and, you know, he only committed four turnovers today, I guess you could point to being 0-4 from three-point range, but... Nothing really sticks out in terms of like favoring the hand or anything. Still had 11 rebounds. Um, but I'll say this. I mean, I wouldn't favor them to do it, but I would say that like depending on how the market handles this game, you know, I might be having a ticket on them to do so or at least stay within a number for that game. I mean, the last three games defensively to, for Toronto have been incredible. The first two games, you know, I know I came on your show and talked about it. The first two games, Philly was incredible on offense. They were getting up and down the floor. They were winning in transition. They were winning the non-Joel Embiid minutes in those two games. It was crazy to watch. But then since ever since they got back, offensive rating in the two, or excuse me, defensive rating in the two games in Toronto for the Raptors of 106, what they did today under a point per possession, I think more than anything, it's that what's that's what worries me about Philadelphia is that Toronto has kind of figured things out off their defensively and offensively. They're starting to run a little bit more. They were great in transition again today, finding open three point shooters. I, I, I think you're kind of stretching, doing the cartoon stretch the collar. You know what I mean? If you're mm -hmm. Philadelphia, like, oh, I don't know. Like we got a coach who's blown a lot of big leads. We're on the road again. They might be getting healthier with Van Vliet. It's definitely a troublesome situation for Philadelphia. I see Philly minus a point and a half right now. For that yeah. game six in Toronto, makes uh, sense. But yep. like really quickly too. But you're talking about we, we always we, we always talk about adjustments and whatnot. Remember in games to what the first two games in Toronto, we're talking about to, to what two and a half, two mm -hmm. and three. So there's been an adjustment there by the by the market standpoint. Well, I want to talk to you about that uh, with uh, with the game coming up. But let's just recap here: Mavericks with a dominating effort here over the Jazz. They lead three games to two. Will they wrap this up in Utah in game six? I think so. You know, the market's been weirdly high on Utah in this series. Yep. And They're it's, a point-and-a-half favorite uh, in that game. And it's, it's exactly where it probably should be for Utah um, because they're at home, right? You want to give them uh, – actually, I allow them to lay a point. The betting market seems like they're accounting for home court is about three points in the postseason. Um, but just, like, look at the last few games. 
you know, even in this game right now, when I say that, hey, you know, the betting market was accounting for home quarters about three points so far in the postseason, I laid two and a half with Dallas. The market, you know, yesterday was like, nah, they're still worse than Utah on a neutral. <laughs> it just it just didn't really make much sense. And when you look at the last two games to the market's handle, this hasn't made much sense. The Mavericks are a matchup nightmare for them. They can just drive and kick it out to open shooters. Now Donovan Mitchell at the end of that game is grabbing his hammy too. Uh, it's just, I, I think we're kind of, stick a fork in a done type of deal with Utah. And this might be like done, done in terms of that iteration of the jazz. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that the Dallas Mavericks have a very good opportunity to close that game out. Yes. Grizzlies laying six uh, tomorrow night in their game five with the series tied at uh, two games apiece. Is that too much given how close this series has been? Yeah. I mean, so I came into this, I think I told you this. So my, my philosophy or my strategy in this series was just Minnesota in every game. Uh, because I thought that the market was a little too high on Memphis. And I, I feel, so I'm two and two through those four, and I keep telling everybody that I feel some sort of vindication. I mean, game three, my my, my team, my guys, had a 21-point <laughs> lead twice, right? And they blew both of them to losing that game. Uh, but I'm just going to kind of stick with this philosophy. I, I still make this game line, uh, especially with Memphis back at home, uh, just about four and a half as opposed to like the six, six and a half that's out there. So I'm going to sit back and see what the market does and hope I can grab seven again, because that's what I got in the first two games and go from there. But I still think like generally in, in this range, like we're talking about like that six and a half, I'm still going to play Minnesota. I don't think the adjustment has been enough. I do think that these two teams are much closer and you mentioned it. I think the last few games have kind of shown that Minnesota defensively is really good back home. Uh, you saw how their scorers uh, can perform at high levels. Jaron Jackson Jr. has got to stay out of foul trouble because the minutes on the floor has been awesome. Uh, but I think these two teams are pretty tight in terms of a power rating standpoint. So I don't think the market's accounted for it enough. How about the Suns six or six and a half point favorites? Ooh over the Pelicans? I, the only thing I'll say, because I don't want to lay that number, especially because they're having trouble with the, like that all-defense lineup with Jose Alvarado and Herb Jones out there and you know some of the smaller lineups with uh, Pat, or, excuse me, uh, Larry Nash Jr. at center. But I will say, it, like the, the thing that you're looking at for Phoenix is the role players performing better, especially now that they're back home. I bring up the example of Denver, right? Denver in the last two games, you actually saw some role players wake up, and it culminated in game four where – uh, Aaron Gordon had a great game. Monty Morris had a great game. Will Barton hits the shot that essentially wins it for him. Like everybody contributed to that game. It's because you're back at home. You tend to see role players perform a little bit better in the postseason when they're playing at home. So maybe a good campaign shows up. Maybe you get, you know, an explosive performance from a Jay Crowder type or something here. I, I think that's what you're looking for for Phoenix. But mostly you're looking for those bench units to do something a little bit better because those minutes have been ugly when Chris Paul's not out there and Cameron Payne's all by himself running that offense because it does not look good. There's, like, no shot creation in any way whatsoever. The Warriors right now eight-and-a-half-point favorites over the Nuggets in a closeout situation. I know that that spread's higher than the spreads yeah. for games one and two, but I think it should actually be higher than this, JVT. I think the Golden State Warriors are should be double-digit favored in this spot here. I think this is a terrible spot for Denver. They got their win. This has gentlemen sweep written all over it. Yeah, I, I think this is, I, so I would, I didn't make it double digits, but I, I made it definitely somewhere. I think uh, I got this down at, yeah, I made this about eight myself. And when you're talking about the game lines for this, and you're right, it's the adjustment off the first two games, but I think this is an apt adjustment, right? Not some of the other games that we're talking about where the market freaks out about something and, you know, closes Utah an eight and a half point favorite at home over the uh, Mavericks. When we know that Doncic isn't going to play, I think this is a, a suitable um, adjustment on a market rating for a Golden State Warriors team. That's kind of discovered something about itself in this series or that death lineup. So I'm going to stay away from this. I tend to think that the Warriors should be able to um, not only close this out, but win comfortably, especially when you see the mismatch against this Denver defense. But 
Jokic is still kind of a problem, and he's putting up really good numbers against him. It wouldn't be shocking to see them stay within an inflated number, especially if it continues to get driven up by the betting market. So Warriors, Bucks, money line, and we just put our feet up and relax, right? <laughs> I will say this. It's going to be a popular selection. And the poor Chicago Bulls, man. It, it's funny. The, there was a lot of people who thought the Bulls were showing some fight in game two. And, and what I watched was a Bucks team who was lazy and ruining my Bucks to win in four tickets. Sure enough, they go and wipe the floor with the Bulls in the last two games. Where the hell was that, huh? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what's going to happen on their home floor yeah. in Milwaukee coming up on Wednesday. JVT, appreciate the time. Uh, continue great work. And we will be listening to Hardwood Handicappers. And we'll catch you every day on the edge as well. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. There he is. Our senior NBA analyst, Jonathan Von Tobel. As I said, you can catch him on the edge Monday through Friday, each and every day alongside our very next guest, Matt Humans. Uh, But also be sure to catch Hardwood Handicappers. And if you miss it live, you can get it wherever you get your podcast or vcin.com slash podcast. Let's welcome in Matt Humans coming up next. I'm Scott Sadenberg. This is The Look Ahead here on vcin, the sports betting network. This is the look ahead on VSN, the sports betting network. The VSN Spring Special is here. For only $59, you get everything VSN has to offer from now to the end of July. The next few months are going to be filled with the best betting content in the business right here at VSN.com. Subscribers will have access to all of it, including Adam Burke's daily MLB best bets, as well as mine. You'll get them up there. Jonathan Von Tobel is going to have all his best bets all the way through the NBA Finals. Andy McNeil is going to break down all the action on the ice all the way through the Stanley Cup playoffs. Plus, we'll have lots of NFL preseason coverage, not to mention continued best bets and premium articles covering golf, UFC, USFL, and NASCAR. If you want the full VEASAN experience, which features the daily best bets email, every edition of Point Spread Weekly, use of our betting tools, and a live video stream whenever you want it, Cost is only $59 to be a subscriber through July 31st. Sign up now at vcin.com slash spring. Scott Seidenberg here with you. It is the look ahead on vcin, the sports betting network. Let's welcome in now our very own, the other half of the edge. We had JVT on. Now we welcome in our very own Matt Humans joining me here on the program. And Matt, I know you did a mock and you got some great stuff in our NFL draft betting guide. I want to get to that in a couple of minutes, but we just left off talking about the NBA playoffs. So I want to continue that conversation here with you. And looking at the Toronto Raptors, who were able to do something here on Monday that I believe only 13 teams have done before in NBA history, which is force a game six after being down three games to none. How live are the Raptors, in your opinion, in this next game in Toronto to force a Game 7 back in Philly? Well, you know, I go back to what Bob Knight said uh, a few decades ago when Indiana trailed big to LSU in a game, and he said he looked down at the other bench and he saw Dale Brown, so he knew they still had a chance. <laughs> and, so uh, you look and you see Doc Rivers? Yep. <laughs> We got that Philly bench and Doc Rivers, and you know the Raptors still have a chance. Oh, goodness. And uh, I think uh, things are going to get pretty tight uh, with Philly if uh, if they can't close it out in game six. I mean, I, I really thought the Raptors should have won game three. That was when Joel Embiid buried the three with a second to go at the end of overtime, yep. and that was uh, when the Sixers were – uh, one and a half or two point favorites, never led by more than two until Embiid hit that three at the end of OT. 
they look like the Raptors are going to be dead and buried and six feet under at that point, but they battle back and now they're going home. They're going to be without Fred Van Vliet. So uh, that makes a little bit of a difference, but the Raptors played really well tonight. And um, I think they still got a chance here. I had a, a small Raptors series bet that I followed JVT on and uh, obviously thought that was going to be a loser for sure after uh, the first three games. But I think this Raptors team probably senses some weakness in the Sixers and uh, can take advantage of that. You do have a coaching advantage, which we thought from the start of the series with Nick Nurse against Doc. And uh, as the series goes along, you know, adjustments become key. And I think Nick Nurse has made some, uh, some pretty good adjustments here. And, you know, I don't know what you see, Scott, but uh, James Harden, in my view, is a shell of his former self. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, this Sixers team is definitely, uh, I think, uh, if, if it survives this round, it's not going to go too deep in the East because Embiid's got an injury he's dealing with now. Harden is just not the same player. And uh, I, I, I think the Raptors got some life, yeah. Look, I, I've bet Toronto a lot in this series, uh, and it's because mm-hmm. I, I'm very anti-James Harden. <laughs> Every time he yep. gets into the playoffs, I bet against him. So uh, mm-hmm. I am just convinced that he is not a championship yep. player, and we've seen that throughout his career. So I'm going to continue to fade him, and I'll probably take the plus point and a half, or I'll wait to see what the market does, and maybe it moves the line. And if I can get the Raptors at anything greater than a point and a half, I'll take it coming up on uh, that game on Thursday. Yeah, I was looking at that, too. I saw the Raptors plus one and a half, and I thought, do I take the one and a half now, or do I just five bet that game, and maybe if the Sixers get a lead, I can get more than yep. one and a half with Toronto. You, you think they're probably not going to lead wire to wire, uh, how volatile these games are. But, yeah, I would probably look at the Raptors' side or pass in game six because, uh, man, it's going to be interesting. If this thing gets to game seven and Doc Rivers are going to have to hear about all his chokes from the past <laughs> in the playoffs. Let me ask James you, Harden, too. Like you mentioned, yeah. Harden's never been a guy who's a step-up performer in the postseason. Nope. Remember that disappearing act he had in that game six yeah. against the Warriors. Um, let's talk about the games coming up here on Tuesday. Grizzlies laying six against the Timberwolves. Uh, I'll ask you the same question I asked JBT. Is this too much considering how close this series has been between these two teams? Man, I think so. But I'm not going to play this because I was really disappointed in the T-Wolves' performance uh, the last time at home when they had two, they blew two different 20-point leads in the first half and the second half. And I just think uh, they've got a lack of maturity and leadership on that team. I love Anthony Edwards as a player, but he's still a very young player who hasn't won in the playoffs really yet. And, uh, yeah, I I would be inclined to to agree with what JVT says about taking the points with the T-Wolves, but I'm probably going to pass on that one because of what happened in that previous game in Minnesota. That was, that was ugly. And uh, this is not going to be a, a series. I'd probably bet going forward. What about Pelican's sons, Phoenix laying six and mm-hmm. a half. I would think that Chris Paul and the Suns bounce back in this spot, but man, I really like this Pelican's team. They're growing up fast. They've got a lot of good young players who are um, believe who believe they can win and they can win this series. So I, I like the Suns to win the game. I'm not sure I, I want to lay six and a half points in that spot. I, I, I'll tell you the one team I'm looking at um, in, in the next game is going to be the Mavericks. And I bet the Mavericks tonight laying three. I'm probably going to bet them again uh, in the next game in Salt Lake City because now you got <laughs> now, now you've got injury issues on the Jazz side. I think they, they 
they've got a coach who's one of my least favorite in the NBA. I, I can't stand watching Quinn Snyder with all his nervous energy over there. <laughs> it's a very poor defensive team, very, very poor defensive team on the perimeter. And you see Jalen Brunson, how he stepped up in the series. Scott, a lot of people forget Brunson was uh, the national player of the year in 2018 at Villanova. And he was part of two title winning teams. The way he stepped up here when Luka Doncic was out, now with Doncic back and he was electric tonight, I think the Mavericks are probably going to be a good bet again in that next game. I think, uh, I forgot who said it on Twitter, but uh, Quinn Snyder looks like the end of Goodfellas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's constantly sweating and pacing. He's got a lot of nervous Uh, energy. Karen, we needed that. Why did you do that, Karen? (laughs) Uh, <laughs> good, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got a golf event coming up this weekend what are you uh eyeing here at the mexico open i'm going to take uh a few of the longer shots john rom's the nine to two favorite plus 450 at circus sports right now and rom has yet to win this year and i think he's the justified favorite at that number by far the strongest player in the field i'm going to look at a few other longer shots here I'm going to go with a couple of Mexican players. I was about to ask you. I was, I was about to ask uh-huh. you. Does does a player like so? Abraham Answer is the second favorite on the board. Like, does a Mexican player have the advantage here? You know, Wes Reynolds loves those soap opera type storylines with uh, the guys playing for home country pride and things like that. But Abraham Answer is actually um, in decent form. He tied for fifth at the match play in Austin, and uh, at eighteen to one. I'm going to give him a little bit of a shot here, as well as Carlos Ortiz, the guy who finished second at Mayakoba in November. Uh, so those two guys, as far as Mexican players, are going to be on my list this week. I did, I did that answer at 18, and Ortiz at 60 to one. I'm also going to look at Kevin Na, who tied for 14th at the Masters, tied for 26th at Hilton Head uh, last the previous week or the week right after the Masters. Na is in better form. He's at 30 to one. I think. He's got a pretty good shot this weekend. Another guy that I played at Augusta, 575 to 1. And uh, he tied for second that week in greens and regulation and tied for 10th at Augusta, Cameron Champ. Uh, Champ is over that left wrist injury. Uh, I think he's playing much better. He's the player he was maybe uh, a couple of years ago. And you can still get pretty good numbers on uh, Cameron Champ. 50 to 1 this week, I think, is worth a shot. So even though John Rahm looks like a, a really strong favorite, I'm going to go with Answer, Ortiz, Nah, and Cameron Champ. And Scott, I'll wrap it up by saying the PGA on uh, May 19th at Southern Hills in Oklahoma. Uh, I do have one bet on that. And it's, it's a player that you and I have talked about on this show before. I think iron play is going to be really important in this uh, PGA. And I have one bet so far. Will Zalatoris. Our guy. Ride with <laughs> Billy D one more time. At the I, I, Matt, I have settled in that every golf tournament now, I'm going to bet two golfers <laughs> until it comes through for me. And so far, I've held true. And it almost happened two weeks ago. It's Zalatoris and Shane Lowry. And oh, yeah. believe yeah. me, I thought that I was counting my money on Shane Lowry two weeks ago. And uh, that double bogey on 14 did not uh, help the cause. But I will be betting Lowry and Zalatoris in every tournament that they play in until one of them comes away with the win for me. I can promise you that. You know, I don't, I don't disagree with that. And uh, you know what? Will, Willie Z should have won a Tory Pines. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and like you said, uh, Shane Lowry 
was that close to a win, too. So I think those guys are going to cash eventually here. Let's get into the NFL draft coming up next. He is Matt Humans. I'm Scott Seidenberg. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. I can do it. Well, if you're looking for more sports betting coverage surrounding your local teams, Bet Rivers has you covered. Their city casts in Chicago, Denver, Detroit, LA, New York, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Washington, DC. It's all presented by Bet Rivers. So go check out your city cast, vcin.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts from. Scott Sadenberg is back here with you. And this is the look ahead here on VSIN, rejoined now by our very own uh, senior editor at Point Spread Weekly, vsin.com, co host of The Edge. He is Matt Humans. And Matt, you have done such a great job of uh, doing our draft coverage up on vsin.com, including our draft betting guide. So are you exhausted at this point because of all the work you've been putting into the draft? No, I love it. I love the draft. I really do. I've been doing mock drafts for over 20 years. For, uh, daily newspapers and obviously here at VSIN and the draft betting results from the last few years have been really positive. I think it went 15 and 3 on draft props last year that I posted on VSIN and uh, the 2020 draft when there was nothing else going on in the sports world because of the pandemic and the shutdown. I think I bet 30 some props on that draft. But you're right that when you're comparing. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. prices and comparing numbers in the betting market for this draft at so many different books, it does become mind-numbing at some point. Uh, like tonight, I was going through the Westgate Superbook and Circa Props mm-hmm. uh, for about the fifth time today and comparing some of the numbers that were out there to other books. And yeah, at some point you get to like, okay, let's just get this draft started. <laughs> but uh, I've got up close to 20. I think I've got about 20 prop plays at this point. Uh, some pretty big, some small, uh, but I, I like all, I like most of the uh, the plays I've made at this point. It's a very fluid process, obviously, with a lot of different information coming out, sometimes conflicting information, but you just have to take the best educated guess. And, hey, uh, this is the event that most bookmakers hate to book. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, as players, we do pretty well on this, and uh, that's that, that keeps you going because, you know, this is a – this is a type of event that uh, we have a great chance to win on this week. So uh, let me give you a one that I have got kind of targeted here. 
and I'm trying to find the best number. Right now, the best number that I found is minus 220, so I got to keep looking even further. But it's on Charles Cross, and the number that I saw was under eight and a half. Charles <laughs> Cross is being drafted by the New York Giants. Um, from everybody that I've talked to, friends over there, they love this kid. And they're viewing him as a right tackle because they got uh, Thomas at left tackle. And even though he hasn't played right tackle, they did during the pro day put him through workouts. And they are pretty high on him. Now, I, let's say even if Aquonu and Neal are still on the board at five, I still believe the Giants would take Charles Cross at five. Now, if they don't take him at five, they're going to take him at seven. And that might be the more realistic position if somebody else is available at five. But if Aquonu goes at three, let's say, to the Texans, the Giants are taking Charles Cross at five. So find me the best number on an under or whatever of Charles Cross. He's going to the New York Giants. That wouldn't surprise me at all. In fact, uh, you know, I was looking at some of the offensive lineman props tonight, and I think uh, Aquonu is probably going to be the first offensive player off the board. Looks like Evan Neal, the, the Alabama offensive lineman, sliding a little bit with some injury uh, concerns. I think Charles Cross, I had my mock draft going number nine to Seattle last week. Obviously, there were some things that would change if I did a mock draft 3.0, but I'm, I'm not going to do another one this week. Uh, I think that the Giants are probably going to take one defensive player and one offensive yes. lineman with yes. the picks of five and seven. Mm-hmm. I had them taking Kayvon Thibodeau, I think, at five. I don't know if he's still going to be there at five, but I could see the Giants taking cross at five or seven. I, I think that's probably the likely scenario at this point. So, yeah, you know, sometimes you hate to lay 220 on mm-hmm. a bet, but if you're that confident in something like this, it doesn't look like cross is going to slip to number nine at this point. You can lay it because you say, hey, the true price might be minus 400. So I, minus I agree with 20. that. I, th- I think he's yeah. at, at worst, he's going seventh to the Giants at worst. The uh-huh. Giants aren't going to let him pass. I think – if Equonu goes third overall, like I said, if he goes third to the Texans, because I think we can agree right now it's going to be Walker 1 and Hutchinson 2. And the market has dictated that, right? Like, it's going to be Walker 1, Hutchinson 2. I think number three is where the draft gets interesting. Do the Texans take Thibodeau, which would be ironic because of all the comparisons to Jadavion Clowney, right? But if the mm-hmm. Texans don't take Thibodeau and they take Equonu, then at number four, you know, the Jets could take Thibodeau. The Jets could take Sauce Gardner, which I think would be a great move for them because they need a defensive yeah. back, especially when you look at now Tyreek Hill in that division, along with Stephon Diggs. They can certainly use a cornerback. And I think at five, the Giants would then take Charles Cross. I then have, you know, whatever the Panthers want to do. And then the Giants, I think, would take either Stingley or, 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 or Kyle Hamilton, whichever defensive back is left that the Jets don't take at number four. That's what I have in my top seven. Yeah, I agree with that as well, because in my mock last week, I had Ahmad Gardner in the Cincy corner yep. going to the Jets at number four. So I played Gardner under seven and a half at minus 200. I, I didn't get the best number there, but I like him under seven and a half. I played Stingley under 11 and a half. Oh, yeah. Uh, minus 150. And, do you know, uh, do you know why that's right such now. a good bet, man? Mm-hmm. Do you know why that's such a good bet? Because if the Giants don't take him at number seven, the Seahawks yeah. will take him at number nine. Right. I think so as well. Hey, and don't rule out the Texans maybe taking him at number three. I've also heard the Lions wow. like Stingley quite a bit. That would be a start. Oh, I can't. The I Lions did. just took – the Lions made the mistake oh, taking Okuda a couple of years ago. 
Well, the Lions make a lot of them. <laughs> uh, they, they don't pick high in the draft every year because they nail this thing, right? Yeah. Uh, so, and it, it's a different it's a different executive team with the Lions too. I think it was Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia a couple yep. of years ago when they took Jeff Okuda. And you got different guys in charge now. So who knows? I, I don't think they'll take Stingley number two, but I wouldn't rule him out at number three. I actually made small long shot bets of William Hill on Stingley to be the number two pick at 30 to one and be the number three pick at 100 wow, to one. Uh, so we'll see. But I also bet Aiden Hutchinson to be the number two pick by the Lions plus 220. Just because I felt like, you know, the Jaguars seem to have not been sold on Hutchinson the whole time. And even when he's minus 200 odds on favor to be the first pick, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to put him number one on my mock, but I'm not really sure he's going to go number one. If he goes to two, how do the Lions pass mm-hmm. on the Michigan defensive end? You would think they don't. Uh, so I like those bets. Obviously, he played wide receivers over five and a half, minus 165. I would even lay a higher price on that now. Instead of betting over six or six and a half, I think that number is probably going to land on six. I know a lot of people think seven, and seven wouldn't surprise me. Quarterback strapped in the first round and played under three and a half at minus one seventy five. Okay, would you uh, play the over two and a half though? Yeah, I think we're gonna have three quarterbacks in the first okay. round, okay. but I I think it's more likely that it just stays under uh, stays under three and a half. Mm-hmm. Really, Scott, I, I, I've said this. I think NFL GMs or coaches, personnel people, will be either dumb or desperate or a combination of both at four quarterbacks get drafted in the, this first round. I agree. Ridiculous. The, the only yeah. reason I think it's going to go over two and a half is because I think that the two will be taken, mm-hmm. whether, uh, yeah. Willis and Pickett will be taken. And then I believe that a team is going to trade back into the end of the first round because by taking that quarterback at the end of the first round, you lock in that extra year of control. You get that fifth year. So I think a team would be willing to trade into – the final three picks or four picks of the first round in order to get that extra year of control for a quarterback. Yeah, and we've seen that happen before. The Ravens did it with Lamar Jackson. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I I wouldn't be surprised either if the Lions take a quarterback at number 32. It could be Ritter. It could be yep. Corral. Who knows? Uh, but, you know, I played Kenny Pickett draft position over 10 and a half, minus 185. That's a high price, but I just can't see Pickett going in the top 10. Hmm. And I, I know the Circa – Opened his draft position today at 16 and yeah. a half. Uh, so Willis at 13 and a half, Malik Willis, and then Kenny Pickett at 16 and a half at Circa. But I had played Kenny Pickett already. Uh, let's see, George Karlaftis, Purdue defensive end. I played him over 18 and a half, minus 130. I think he's going to go somewhere in the 20s. Karlaftis, uh, his draft position is up, I think, at Circa 22 and a half now. Uh, but Several under uh, one other I played at circuit a Christian Watson wide receiver from North Dakota State he's six four he ran a sub four forty uh, this guy could be the sleeper wide receiver of this draft I, I think he's going to go somewhere in the twenties maybe to the Chiefs at a uh, twenty eight or twenty nine where they pick I played him under thirty eight and a half a plus one fifteen I also bet him to be drafted before George's George Pickens wow um, I got Willis drafted before Pickett at minus one sixty. And uh, several other plays here, man. I've got so many. I don't. I think we're gonna run out of time. <laughs> well, you've done a tremendous job with the NFL Draft Betting Guide and all the work, of course, in Point Spread Weekly and up on VSIN.com. We appreciate you, Matt, and uh, good luck with all your bets coming up here on Thursday. All right, you bet, Scott. Thanks, man. There he is, our very own Matt Newman. Check him out. Hosted of the Edge Monday through Friday here on the network. I'm Scott Seidenberg. This is the Look Ahead right here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.